Today's scripture reading is Matthew 3, 13 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for this opportunity to uh, be in this room at this moment in time with uh, people who are perhaps from all walks of life, each entering to this room with their uh, own things on their mind and, and different experiences from pa the past week. Regardless of where we come from or how we feel or what this morning has been like, the truth is that you are good, that you are faithful, that your grace can be experienced by those who've placed their faith in you in very specific, concrete ways, and even by those who can't yet uh, voice <laughs> that experience. And I pray, Lord, through today's preaching that you would Help us, Lord, to embrace that grace, those who have placed their faith and trust in you and those who are on a journey or who are curious, that you would help them to take a step forward to just saying uh, what the Christian faith is all about and more importantly, who Christ is. We ask you to do this not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Christ's name, amen. Growing up, in the black church experience, there was a phrase uh, that you would often hear uh, come from uh, the audience, from the pew, as the preacher was preaching. And the phrase was simply, make it plain. And I remember when I first started preaching, uh, there was a mother at our, uh, the church that I was preaching at, and she would every now and then scream out, make it plain, reverend. <laughs> And uh, one day I had to find out what exactly does that mean, make it plain. And I learned that make it plain reverend meant uh, you are making this more complicated than it is. <laughs> so please make it plain. Amen. <laughs> and so uh, when I think about the gospel writers, I think about them simply trying to make it plain. Uh, each gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, when they open up their Gospels, they are, are answering the question in, in a variety of different ways because there's a variety of different audiences that their uh, letters are meant for, but they're trying to make it plain, and they're answering the question, who is Jesus? So uh, John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, John tries, he's making it plain uh, to his audience. Jesus is the Logos of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, the Jesus is eternal, this eternal God has put on human flesh and, and moved into the neighborhood. 
book of Mark. Mark is making it plain for his audience, and he does this by uh, showing how amazing Jesus is. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus is the one whom demons obey his voice. And uh, we see that he makes it plain over and over in the first five chapters. When people experience Jesus, they are left answering the question, who is this man? Who is this man who has authority? Who is this man who sits with tax collectors and prostitutes and those who are marginalized? Now, who is this man who are, is able to do things that we've never seen done before? And Luke's gospel is a similar way. It's who is this Jesus, this man who is from Nazareth, who is affirmed by God as being his beloved child. Well, we see the same thing in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is answering this question, and we've talked about this week in and week out. Who is Jesus? And he starts off in verse 1, chapter 1. Jesus is the son of Abraham, the son of David. He is the promised Messiah. He is hope for uh, the Jewish people, but also hope for the nations. And so he's continuing to, to answer this question. But in today's passage, in these short few verses, he is going to make it incredibly plain that Jesus is God's choice servant. And Jesus is God's promised son. Jesus is the one by whom John the Baptist has come to prepare the way for. This passage, though it is showing Jesus' baptism, primarily is showing us Jesus' identity as God's son, as the one with whom the prophets have foretold. And he's going to show us this. And in showing us this, he is going to remind us, those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, that we find our identity in him. And because we find our identity in him by faith, because we have been declared righteous, we are God's sons and daughters. We are God's choice servants. And it radically impacts the way we live every single day. And the reason each of us need to remember that this morning and be confronted with those truths is that every morning when we wake up, we have a choice. Either we rest in our sonship and our identity in God through Christ Jesus, or we live as orphans, as those who do not have a home, do not have a place. We live searching for who we are and, and looking for affirmation that can only really be found and satisfied in Christ. It's interesting, in the next section in Matthew chapter 4, we're going to see that Jesus, after receiving this incredible affirmation from the Father, the Spirit is going to send him to the wilderness. And in the wilderness, we're going to look at next week how he is tested uh, by Satan. And, and as he is tested, it's really a question of identity. In verse 3 of chapter 4, it says, Satan comes to him and says, if you are the Son of God. Verse 5, if you are the son of God, Satan is testing his identity, testing to see if Jesus is going to rest in whom God his father calls him and who God his father affirmed him to be, or if he's going to try to find his identity outside of that. And that's the same question that you and I, we're going to have to answer over and over, day by day, hour by hour. Are we going to rest in our sonship? 
Are we going to rest in what God the Father has to say about us? Or are we going to seek our, and find our identity, perhaps in the American dream, perhaps in what our, our parents say we should be, perhaps in the way a spouse thinks about us, perhaps in a way a friend thinks about us, or perhaps in a way we want to see ourselves? Or are we going to rest in what the heavenly, what your heavenly Father says about you? And so there's two things that we want to look at in this text real quick before we get to circle back to the application I just gave you. The first is we want to see Jesus as God's choice servant. Jesus as God's choice servant. 13 through uh, 15 is an incredible passage. And what we see is John the Baptist has been in the wilderness preaching a message of repentance. And the majority of John the Baptist's audience, of course, are uh, a Jewish people. They are people who've heard about this man who is just wild in the wilderness, preaching a very strong message of repentance, preparing the way for the Messiah, and they have come, and many of them have been convicted to the heart by his message. And this was an interesting message that he's preaching to uh, the, the Hebrew people because uh, this, this ritual cleansing, this baptism that they would uh, see uh, all their lives growing up were, were not, was not for them. It was for Gentile uh, proselytes. It was for people who wanted to become a part of the people of God. But John is preaching in the wilderness and saying, no, this is for everyone. This is for you, Israel. Turn your heart back to God. Repent of your sins so that your heart will be ready when the Messiah comes. In the Gospel of John, we read these words, which gives us, I think, a, a good insight, uh, another insight into uh, what we're reading today. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who has surpassed me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. So John is in the wilderness being obedient to the Father, preaching this bold message of repentance, and he's awaiting to meet the Messiah himself for it to be revealed to him who this person that he is preaching about is. Verse 32, and John testified, I watched the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him, and I didn't know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptized with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. So John is out in the wilderness by faith just preaching this message. And we read in Matthew uh, that the day after the passage we looked at last week, uh, Jesus is standing in line to be baptized. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan. So Jesus comes from Galilee, which is about 70 miles away from where John is. He makes a long trip, and he's there to be baptized. Now, that word baptized is not simply just a religious word. It's a word that uh, back in ancient lit literature can be uh, found as a general term. To be baptized is to be washed. To be baptized is to be submerged. It was a word that was, actually, that was often associated with ships that would sink. It's to go underwater. 
So Jesus is coming uh, to the wilderness to be submerged underwater by John the Baptist. That is his purpose for being there. Verse 14, but John tried to stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you and yet you come to me. Uh, One preacher had an incredible illustration in talking about this passage where he says, everyone else in the wilderness, if you were to put a name tag on them, every single person had a name tag that said sinner on it. Every single person. Those who were waiting in line to be baptized, they would have a name tag that says sinner. Not only every person that John was baptizing, but John himself. It's a doctrine of humanity, of man. We all are totally depraved. We all, as a result of the fall, are sinners. Sin impacts the way we think, the way we process, the way we live, the way we act. It impacts us holistically. John the Baptist was a sinner as well. But there's only one out in the wilderness that day who would have wore a different name tag, and that's Jesus. And his name tag would have said righteous. <laughs> so John is baptizing. All of a sudden, he sees this revelation of, his, of Jesus in line, and Jesus says, it's my turn to be baptized. And John's like, yo, hold on. Um, if I'm saying this correctly, you are the one that I've waited for, and I'm not, I'm not worthy enough to, to tie up your Jordans, right, or sandals, whatever your translation says. <laughs> he says, I'm not, I'm not good enough to do that. You should be baptizing me. See, John understands what's happening, and he's humbled by the request. John the Baptist baptizing Jesus is like me pulling Steph Curry aside and trying to teach him how to do a jump shot. Or me talking to Beyonce about how to throw a concert. John the Baptist baptizing Jesus is like me traveling to see Wendell Berry and giving him advice on how to write nonfiction. It is is weird. (laughs) Friedrich Bruner says this, and he rightfully says it when he writes, It's as if one were to announce the coming of a great preacher at a series of evangelistic meetings and one night the preacher arrives, not at the platform, but at the altar, not at the podium, but at the penitent's bench, not to preach, but to kneel. Another theologian when talking about John baptizing Jesus says, in a certain sense, the baptism of Jesus is an absurdity. And the question we have to ask ourselves is if we believe as Christians that Jesus was sinless, lived a perfect life for us, and died in our place, why is it that he is identifying with the baptism of repentance? Why is he in the waters? Well, I think that Jesus' baptism is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would one day do on the cross. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10 through 12, we read these words, a prophetic word centuries before that Isaiah saw about the coming Messiah, yet the Lord was pleased to crush him, to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days. And by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him 
the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels, yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. The, the gospels teach us that Jesus became our substitute, that on the cross he died for our place. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. But the baptism of Jesus, it foreshadows this substitution. It's as if Jesus going into these baptismal waters was symbolic. As every other person who went into it, went into it as a, a sinner, went to it as, as one who was living according to their old way. And they went into those waters and they came up to represent a new beginning or a cleansing. But we can just see this image of perhaps symbolically speaking, more metaphorically speaking, imagine those sins and people's filth and their, their dirt remaining in that baptism. And Jesus walking into those waters and instead of his baptism being one of repentance, he, as he is submerged, is taking upon the sins of all who came before him. And one day he will exit that baptism pool. He will live the perfect life for us as God's son. And he will die on the cross, bearing no sins and bury them in a grave forevermore. Jesus is in those waters to say, yo, I see you. I came for you. I identify with you. I felt the Jordan. I felt those waters. I've, I've stood where you've stood. I've been tempted in every way that you have, but without sin. And I emerge victorious. For you, I am God's choice servant who will one day take upon the sins of the world and not just the sins of the world, but your sin in thought and action and deed upon myself for you. Not only is Jesus God's choice servant who will submit himself to baptism, though he is fully righteous, he does it to fulfill all righteousness. Jonathan Pennington says righteousness in Matthew refers to whole person behavior that accords with God's will, nature, and coming kingdom. In submitting to John's baptism, Jesus is showing himself to be the good and obedient son who himself does God's will perfectly. Jesus responds to John, and John, and we see in Matthew 3, 15, John answers him, allow it for now because this is a way, Jesus answered him, uh, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness, for us to fulfill all righteousness, not just me, us collectively. I'm doing this to identify with you all. Then John allowed him to be baptized, wise man. The second movement we see in this text is that Jesus is God's promised son, Look at verse 16. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well 
please. So we see in this text that three things is going to happen at Jesus' baptism, three phenomenal, amazing things. I've had the joy of baptizing uh, a few people in my uh, 12 years of ministry, and I have yet to experience this. I had some fun experiences. I had experience with someone almost tripped on the way down and kind of got pre-baptized before the baptism. Um, I've wrestled with young ones who uh, all of a sudden, while they're in the water, don't want to go under. Uh, but I've never seen, I've never seen this. The Bible says that, that at Jesus' baptism, three unique things happen. The, uh, one thing that happens is that the heavens open. Huh. They open. They, they, they open for Jesus because this is, this is a coronation of sorts. This is God making it extremely clear, making it plain that something different is happening. This is my promised king. This is my promised son. This is no ordinary moment. Two, we see not only does the heavens open for him, but the Bible says that the spirit of God descends like a dove and comes down on him. John 1, we see that this was a public thing. John the Baptist was able to see this, and this was confirmation from him that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus sees this dove coming. It seems that others see it as well, see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. Now, this points us back. It points us back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters. It points us back to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 1, where we see the spirit is spoken of in, in, a, in a manner of an eagle who hovers over her nest. Now, Jesus is fully God and has always been, has never set that aside. The fullness of the Godhead has always existed in him. It's three plus one. We see the Trinity at effect here. We see the Father affirming the Son. We see the Holy Spirit present. We see Jesus physically present as on earth in flesh, but the Spirit ascends on him in a visible way to, to coordinate his, the beginning of his ministry, this new creation. Not only that, third thing we see in this passage is that the Father affirms him. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that everything that's happening here is it's kind of pointing back to uh, Old Testament promises about the Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, we read, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. This is Jesus' kind of ordination service. The Spirit of the Lord falls upon him publicly. We later read in Isaiah 42 and 1, this is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him and he will bring justice. He will bring righteousness to the nations. John is showing us that this is God's promised son God's promised king, Matthew is showing us, and, and throughout the book of Matthew, he is going to reiterate that over and over. In fact, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 54, we see at the conclusion of the book, 
as the steady revelation is coming to, to people who are journeying with Jesus and experiencing Jesus, that, that this is going to happen. What God has ordained before the foundation of the world, what the prophets saw, what the prophets prophesied will come to pass. And we see even a centurion at the crucifixion of Jesus having this moment where the Holy Spirit reveals to him who Jesus truly was. Matthew 27, 54, when the centurion and those with them who were helping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, truly, this man was the son of God. Scripture's so good, isn't it? Isn't it interesting how the old and the new come together, how the Old Testament, Jesus is concealed, and in the New Testament, he's revealed? This is about Jesus' identity, but more than just Jesus' identity, Christian, it's about yours. We see this call from this text for us in three ways. Number one, I think this text calls us to just pause and to marvel at Jesus as God's choice servant. And to allow our marveling at Jesus as God's choice servant to lead us to be model servants. Like, is anyone else amazed that Jesus, who is sinless and who is perfect, stepped into the Jordan as though he was not in order to identify with us? Is anyone amazed that the God who created the heavens and the earth who created the galaxies and, and spoke all things into existence, who is the one who is holding all things together by his very breath, who is the one who is allowing earth to spin on an invisible axis as we speak, who created the seasons, the flowers, the lilies, and creatures that we have yet to discover and to name, that this God became man, that he dwelt among us, and that he loved us enough to serve us. And he served us by allowing one who was sinful to have authority over his body, to dip him into the waters and to allow him to emerge. He, he loved us enough to be misunderstood. Because even in the early church, and even right now, people look at the baptism of Jesus and they errantly think that, that this was the moment that Jesus was adopted as God's son that he was adopted as being divine. Jesus was not adopted into his Godship. Jesus always was before the beginning of time. But Jesus came and submitted to baptism and humbled himself to the point that not only uh, did he become human and be baptized, though he is sinless, but he, he came in such a way that he would allow maybe even his reputation to be tainted and, and questioned his divinity, to be misunderstood, to reach you. Marveling at Jesus' servanthood, marveling at the fact that when he came, he didn't come driving to Tulsa. He didn't come with Prada on. He didn't come saying, I'm only going to hang out with those who have. No, he came and he often found himself amongst the misunderstood, the marginalized, the confused, the broken, 
the overlooked, the underlooked, the stepped over, the looked over. He came and he sat amongst tax collectors, sex slaves, those who were menial to society. He touched lepers, he healed the blind, he opened deaf ears, and he served. And here's my point. When the Holy Spirit, when we're baptized, not not just by John's baptism, a baptism of repentance, but a Christian's baptism is by Jesus' baptism. Read Acts chapter 19. Christian's baptism is us not just uh, identifying that we are wrong, but it's it's us turning to Jesus as our pardon as our pattern and, 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 and as our, our power, it, it causes us to say, Lord, I, I, I want to put on this servant towel too. Lord, there's nothing in your will that you call me to that I am beneath. My identity is not in, in, in what society says or mama says or cousin says, nuke, nuke, baby, Jack or, or, or Jill, whoever. My identity is found in you and your example. And I have been put on this earth not to live a life that is me-centered and that is comfortable. But Lord, I have, like you, been called to identify with the broken, the forgotten, and the least of these and to put on a servant towel knowing that one day that I will reign with you in comfort. Jesus didn't think baptism was beneath him. My question for you is what about God's will do you think is beneath you? And not just what, maybe who. And I believe that as humans, we experience God's joy and we become more alive when we see and set Jesus as our model, as opposed to the American dream or our favorite Instagram personality. And we only can do this by his grace. It's not something we can strive to in our own strength. It's not something we can white knuckle ourselves. It's not something we can beat ourselves up and say, doggone it, I did it again something we experience when, like Christ, we submit to God, we open ourselves up and we say, Spirit, have your way. And in this life, it's something that we probably can never take pride of and probably will never think we can be servant enough for. But I believe that if we live with open hands and an open heart before the Lord, say, Spirit, have your way in my life, that one day we will stand from God and we will hear the most beautiful and maybe even shocking words that, that we could ever hear, and that is faithful servants. Mm. Well done. Second invitation is not only for us to marvel at Jesus as our choice servant. And let me say this. This yesterday, I believe we got to see that. I'm proud of our church in, in many ways because yesterday, as Pastor Cliff talked about, we opened up the doors of the church and uh, we put on an amazing medical clinic in which people got to experience the love of Christ through 115 volunteers. Half the persons who attended, a higher portion didn't have insurance, Many didn't have dental insurance. 
Uh, we saw a high percentage of people who attended from our Hispanic community and our Latin American brothers and sisters in Christ um, who are here, as well as those who speak uh, Spanish, uh, came and volunteered and were able to interpret. We were able to feed everyone with a warm meal. We saw people from Brazil, Morocco, Bolivia, Mongolia, Mexico, and Central America all here and probably more. And each person got to be paired with a volunteer, with a member who walked with them throughout the day and, and whose goal was just to show the love of Christ and if they had an opportunity to explicitly share the love of Jesus. Y'all, we have folk from Oldham County as well as Shelby Park. And so one of the ways in which we know that the Holy Spirit has taken grip of our heart and that our eyes are on Jesus and becoming less on us is that we move closer to people to serve and not to be served. And I want to encourage you not to miss opportunities to serve. And maybe that's coming to the medical clinic. Maybe that's next time going out to flyer the community, which uh, we, we really need better participation in. Maybe that's serving in our children's ministry. Maybe that's hosting a community group. Maybe it's staying after a community group to help clean up. Whatever that way that the Lord has called you to serve in the church, serve. But even more importantly, I believe at home, to your children, to your roommates, at school, to those who are around you, to lift up your eyes to the Lord, to allow Jesus to empower you and to say, Jesus, help me to be like you, to not think that there are things that are beneath me, but to step into those waters by faith, believing that God can use them to soften other people's heart. Second, we want to marvel at Jesus as God's promised son and embrace our own sonship. I mean, this is God affirming Jesus as his son, and he's going to do this later on the Mount of Transfiguration so that there's no mistake about it, and we, that Jesus is from God the Father. He is his promised son. Son, and we want to marvel at that, that God affirms him as his beloved son, but we don't want to stop there. We want to marvel at the fact that God affirms you and me as his beloved sons and daughters every single day, every single morning, if we have placed our faith and trust in Christ, that we have been adopted into his family, that we are no longer orphans, but we are sons and daughters. We have full access to the Father just as Jesus does because of his righteousness and what he has done for us. And sometimes we don't feel like it. We don't feel like it because we do silly things. Sinful, silly, stupid things. We say stupid things. We get grouchy. We complain. We mistreat. We make it about us. And the scandal of the gospel is that in those moments, God looks at us as if we were perfect because of Jesus Christ. And he invites us to trust him and to come to him to see that Jesus is better. And that life is better when we embrace him and his attitude by grace. My question for you today is, are you embracing your sonship, your place in God's family? Are you allowing feelings to be uh, indicators instead of a dictator? <laughs> we don't want to ignore our, our feelings, but if we allow it to dictate us, it can, it can take us into a spiral of guilt and shame and condemnation. But in Christ, there is no condemnation. 
We are free. He stepped into the Jordan River and he died upon the cross so that you would not have to live embracing those things. So I want you to do something for me right quick. It's going to get weird for a second, but that's okay. You're at Sojourn. You should expect it. (laughs) If you could, just close your eyes just for a second. And just lift up your hands and open your hands. And I want you to hear what was said about Jesus. If you are in Christ, if you have repented of your sins and turned to him to trust him, hear what was said about Jesus about you this morning. My beloved child, say your name out loud. In whom I am well pleased. Wait, Pastor Jamal, if you knew how angry I was with my child yesterday, if you knew how lustful my heart was this morning, if you knew how much I cared more about my money than God's mission, listen to me, my beloved child, insert your name, and who I am well pleased. Pastor Jamal, if you understood the anxiety if you understood how close I am to just giving up and how I've just been going through the motions, if, if we could just put on a screen like, like what I'm really struggling with, you would not. Listen to me, my beloved, insert your name, in whom I'm well pleased. This is true of you every single moment of the day if you are in Christ. And no matter how bad you have blown it or are blowing it, God's invitation for you this morning is to stop trusting in yourself and your own righteousness and your own dreams and to trust in him, his righteousness and his divine love for you. To turn from yourself back to him. You can open your eyes. Last thing I want to encourage you as I hurry to a close is to see baptism and the importance of it just as Jesus did. John's baptism was one into repentance to prepare one's heart to receive Christ. Christ's baptism, we see in the book of Acts, The Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to baptize his church. See throughout the book of Acts that there's a difference as the apostles meet people and they say, which baptism have you received? John's baptism or pretty much the baptism of Jesus, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes they'll say John baptism. What the the writer is trying to show that there's another baptism. It's a baptism, a Christian baptism, a baptism that identifies with Jesus is life, death, burial, and resurrection. It's one that is rooted in the gospel. It's one that tells the whole story. And so baptism does not save. It does not make you right with God. But baptism is one of the first acts of obedience that those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus by faith, they step out and publicly declare to people, I have died with Christ and been risen with him. And I just want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized, if you've never fully been submerged in water, even if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, to have that same experience that Jesus has as an act of obedience, to experience that water washing over you as symbolic as Jesus, allowing your sins to be buried and you being resurrected with them. 
And perhaps you're a Christian and you've never been baptized or really went public with your faith. Maybe it's because you just think baptism is weird. You're like, yo, when else in life do I wear a white robe and have somebody tell my life story before I get in the water with somebody? And that's, maybe that's weird to you. And then you like raise your hand. It's like, that's weird. It's like, yeah. A lot of things are weird that you do, right? It may be weird, but it's beautiful in God's sight. And it's what God calls us to by faith. And if baptism wasn't beneath Jesus, it shouldn't be beneath you. And so if you are struggling because of maybe a reason I mentioned or some other type of reason or phobia that you had, I would love to talk to you. Our pastors would love to talk to you to hear and to learn more and to see if there's something that we can do about it. But baptism is important for this reason. Martin Luther, in his book, Table Talk, he said, he said this. He says, when Satan harassed them, that there was two things that he would do. The first, he would say to Satan, Satan, I am baptized. Meaning that he would point back to his baptism as a moment in time in which he's affirming, right, his sonship through the symbol of baptism and the church's confidence that they've seen him bear fruit. Satan, I'm baptized. That's what he would throw in Satan's face. The second thing he would do is he would pass gas. No, literally, he would, he would fart. <laughs> I want to encourage you to do the former and not the latter. That's, that was Martin Luther's way of mocking Satan. Now, if you're married or have a roommate and that's your way of mocking Satan, I'm sure you will be receiving care from a pastor or community group leader because those around you will not be happy. But baptism is an important symbol because it's something that we can point back to, especially if we do it at a gospel-centered church and we sit down and tell our story and people can look and affirm it. And we can say, I may not feel like a saint. I may not feel like a son or a daughter. I may not feel like I've been justified. I may not feel like I belong to the Lord. I may not feel loved, but I am. But there's also something else that the Lord has left with us that reminds us of those truths. And every Sunday as a church, we do it together by taking a meal called communion. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he gave us a, a way to remember what he's done for us by us having his meal. He took bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. He took a cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. He left us with an ordinance that's a lot better than Martin Luther's second one. He took bread, blessed it. He drank wine. And he said, this wine is my body and my blood for you. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. If you are not a Christian, rather than take communion, we ask you to just ponder what, what you have heard. And I want you to hear God's invitation for you to find forgiveness of sin to find newness of life, to serve a king who has come for you in your place and who offers you abundant life and joy despite your circumstance or situation. And if you're a Christian, I want you to examine your own heart this morning as you take communion to remember what Christ has done in the past, but also to remember that whatever you're going through, that one day you will be in his presence and as the Apostle Paul says, our, 
our affliction that we're going through now in his presence will seem light. It will seem light because of his glory. That one day the heavens will literally open up for you and you will have a banquet with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you will be his honored guest. Long for that day. But also as you take this meal, reflect and ask yourself, Lord, is there someone who I'm holding captive in my heart that I need to make things right with? And decide to do that today in your seat and to go and to pursue that person so that you can experience the fullness of his joy. Let's pray.